I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do your intro. Thanks, Danny. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Time for Us with me, your friend and conversationist, Danny Wallace. Today we have the scallywag and the sage, Matthew Nielsen, as our guest. And going forward, I'll also be referring to him as Matty, Matt, or Methuselah. So now for your introduction. Matthew is a world-class leathersmith. He designs and meticulously crafts everyday basics such as wallets, bags, and personal organizing products, all in leather. And this is not a plug, but I would seriously advocate for you guys to go and check it out. Matt's brand and online store is called Matt Black, spelled M-A-T-B-L-A-C. And yeah, I'm not biased when I say it, but when you place your online order, you will see firsthand how chic and well-crafted his pieces are. I know this because when I first started dating Aaron, he had one of Matt's wallets, which I was admiring. And he said to me, yeah, my friend made this. And I was like, like, sure, pal, you know, and as it turns out, he did. And you are brilliant. Yeah, go check that out. Aside from his business, Matt has been studying and practicing neurogenic tremoring, which I think we'll probably touch on later on in the podcast. And to give you guys some context, that is a therapeutic tool that involves shaking the body to release tension and trauma, helping to regulate the nervous system. No doubt you'll hear when you hear Matt's voice that he is a brilliant public speaker and has been diligently involved in Toastmasters. <laughs> This is news to me. He apparently has a passion for building terrariums, which is the cutest and nerdiest and somehow coolest thing I've heard in a very long time. I will tell you firsthand as well that Methuselah spends as much time on the mountainside as he does in everyday society. He loves being outdoors. And on a personal note, I consider Matt one of my greatest friends. He's an incredible listener and insight sharer. Just a general great vibe to be around. He's fun when you need him to be fun, serious when you need him to be serious. And yeah, he's single. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Danny. Just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I should be saying that, but I thought I'd yank Um, your chain. Welcome. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for making time for us. Yay. I love that. Well done. All right. Thank you. Thought about that on the mountain this morning. I did you. Very well executed. Very, very well executed. So leading up to this beautiful auspicious occasion we i guess kind of outlined a general theme or direction we wanted to head in which is discussing like self-regulation and i guess supplements toxins in our bodies sleep all of these beautiful things so i guess we can start with how did you gravitate towards this as a matter of personal interest And like, where do you get all your knowledge, your wise, wise knowledge from? So over the past couple of years, I've started to notice that I have a very sensitive sensitive central nervous system. So I'm sensitive to sights, sounds, which means that I pick up lots of details in things and people and objects and scenarios, which has been very beneficial in my career in manufacturing very perfect small (laughs) leather goods, you know, where I'm watching every stitch and losing sleep over millimeter minutia and details. What it also means is that in a very busy hustle and bustle life, I would often find that I was carrying a lot of bodily tension or would be quite wound up. And I didn't realize until I injured my back for the second time and spent a lot of time in bed, 
I didn't realize that that was unnatural or unnormal, that other people didn't carry so much tension and let's call it stress in their bodies. You know, we don't really have good language to describe. You know, if I do a check-in with you and I say, hi, hey, how are you doing? You've got like a small basket of words to use to describe how you're doing to me. But the English doesn't really offer us a good lexicon for describing our internal world to other people or ourselves. Yeah. You know, if you can't, if you can't narrate the sensations in your internal world, it's hard to know what's happening or where it's coming from. You know, so if, I like the word anxiety has really arrived in human diction over the past decade or two. You know, for our parents, that wasn't a common word. I don't think I ever heard it as a child, anxiety. And now, you know, it's several times a day. I'll often in my own mental narrative, I'll be like, wow, I'm feeling anxious. Mm. Like, that's like a thing. And what I started to notice is if, if I didn't have the introspection or attention drawn inwards to notice the state of my internal world, A, I couldn't notice how it was affecting my behavior. In other words, my reactions to people and situations. You know, there's that classic thing like don't make promises when you're too happy and what's it called? Don't get into a disagreement, you know, if you're in a bad mood, these kinds of things. But if you can't check in on how you're feeling or what mood you're in on the inside, how are you going to know when's a good time for you to deal with the outside world? So coming back to it, I also like on the anxiety thing, I'd noticed I drank a lot of coffee, but I also sweated a lot. And I also often struggled to breathe calmly into my belly, which meant that my breathing was tight. And we all know that your breathing really reflects your interior world. Good kind of litmus test to check your breathing. So because I wasn't aware and I didn't have the language to kind of feel into my body, I would find myself drinking coffee, which a lot of people who claim, you know, claim they have anxious behavior Think about it, yeah. It's ironic. Yeah, so you're not aware about it because what happens, you drink a cup of coffee and for the first half an hour, maybe an hour, it's kind of squeezed your adrenals and raised your cortisol levels that you've almost accelerated out of your trouble. But that what's going to happen, it's, it's kind of raising you out of the, the all of the stress hormones and cortisol and everything. It gets a little complex, but everything that's going on in your body. So immediately you feel better. But if you're not checking in with yourself, you won't notice that probably for five to six hours afterwards, you're left in a far, far worse state. And it might then, of course, affect your sleeping, which will affect your anxiety levels the next day and next day. And you can get stuck in a little bit of a, a trap. Yeah, kind of cycle. Yes, a little cycle. So this is what I was doing. So I, to answer your question kind of succinctly, is I started to realize that I needed to pay, in order for me to enjoy being in my body and be comfortable in my body, I needed to pay more attention to A, how I was feeling at all points, and B, what my self-regulatory you know caffeine alcohol nicotine what they were actually doing to me and why i was choosing to use them so my classic thing is i've realized that i get quite anxious in big crowds of people i think a lot of people do that i watch and because now that i can read the signs i can watch people and i watch the behavior and i'm like oh that's what i used to do like i know that distinctly particularly like i'll go to png and you'll watch people immediately just first drink second and they're they're drinking fast they're glugging it down and then they start smoking or vaping. And why suddenly, you know, the whole day they've been totally fine, but now suddenly they're set in this place where they, they, there's a lot of energy build up. They're around lots of other energies. Their breathing has changed. They haven't noticed they need to self-regulate their breathing. So they'll usually go for something like a vapor or a cigarette because of the way that you drag it. You go. Wow, that's so interesting. Distinctly the long exhale. Oh my God, do you know I see my vape in my hand in the middle of doing work or being stressed? And I breathe exactly like that. <laughs> you just mimicked me perfectly. 
I sit and I slowly breathe out and I watch the smoke in the sky, like in the air above, I mean, in front of me. Wow. So I can tell you there's really interesting science behind what's happening there. So your, your breathing is one of the few interfaces that you can consciously change effect in your body that has a neurolog- biological neurological effect on your body. So you can kind of tweak where you are in your central nervous system. What I mean by that is are you closer to fight or flight? Or are you closer to rest and digest? And those two states are ones that we're probably going to talk about a lot in the rest of this podcast. And this is what I mean by the kind of information that's really good to know for you to be able to self-regulate where you are. So fight or flight is is highly beneficial. This is what, from an evolutionary point of view, (coughs) sorry, keeps us alive. But we don't want to stay in that state because when we're in fight or flight, A, we're not our most creative we're not our most social, you know, the, the parts of our brain responsible for social connection start to shut down, creativity starts to shut down, your digestive abilities, blood flow to the digestive organs starts to shut down. Uh, and of course, the reason it's done this is your body is prior prioritizing you being focused and alert to escape danger and possible death. Can I ask a quick <coughs> question? Yeah. So you're mentioning this fight or flight, and I know we're going to get into rest and digest. Yeah. But... I'm correlating fight and flight with the story you just painted for us or the picture you painted for us of the person at PNG exactly. that's drinking. What does alcohol do to us that helps us work through this mode of fight or flight? Does it not just like accentuate it, but ultimately you do feel better? Is it because alcohol is a depressant? It's because it's a central nervous system depressant. Okay. So what's happening is fight or flight and rest and digest are two states of your central nervous system. You've got your autonomic nervous system and it's split into these two branches. They're literally different nerve highways that come from your brain down to different organs and parts of your body. So you drink alcohol and it just soothing calm down over the whole central nervous system. What's happening though is that it's not, <clears throat> it's not putting you into rest and digest, it's numbing out your awareness of it. So your body is still suffering or struggling but from being in that state. In other words, your digestive abilities are not going to be particularly great. So eating a meal, you know, when, you're, when you've calmed yourself just by drinking as opposed to being truly calm is not ideal for digestion. But drinking alcohol also has the bounce back because it's going to raise your baseline level of cortisol for two to three days afterwards. And cortisol is a stress hormone. Exactly. Think of it as your number one stress hormone. So what happens is I used, this is what I noticed in my world is that I would have a night where I had a couple of glasses of wine, say three or four. And then the next day I'm feeling just a little bit more antsy or wired or a little bit more less tolerant, uh, less 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 flowing and malleable to the you know the kind of shit that happens in life Mm. and then by the end of the day i really need a glass of wine to wind down and then you're in the loop you're stuck in the cycle my favorite loop the next day (laughs) and the next day and then our best friends join you know marijuana nicotine caffeine they all get on board and suddenly we're just wallowing in a milieu of cortisol inducing substances Mm. and it can be really hard to get out of it because they've become part of our personality and our behavior certainly our mind yeah, no, 100%. They kind of just become, I think, an unconscious behavioral pattern that you step into. And it's so easy to do. I'm pretty sure most of us just are in that loop half the time, huh? you know? I'm sometimes not sure if I want a rolly or if I just want to roll something. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's hard to tell. It's a part of just what I do when I go out. 
So I wanted to ask you a question on this, and that's that understandably, you've, okay, you've mentioned that our maybe baseline nervous system state or state of our nervous system is heightened in the example of the person at PNG, but mm-hmm. I do think most people it is like that. Just generally. Yeah. Just generally, yeah. like yeah. a more on edge, alert nervous it's system. It's the world that we're in. It's very busy for our central nervous system. It keeps us up. Yeah. And I, I also, I see us taking out these toxins or substances as a way of like self-regulating. Is that a bad thing? I understand that the blowback is bad, but kind of just I feel like people do this and it is unconscious because they just do it to feel better you know mm-hmm. and I, I think maybe I'm coming at this from the angle of this the narrative that I have with myself and the way that I've gone through my life self-regulating with with vices you know alcohol nicotine the list goes on and I'm wondering if we should put it in the perspective of condemning or like looking down upon these behaviors because I don't know if that helps. Do you know what I'm saying? Would that, in, in context, beating yourself up about having these behaviors certainly doesn't work. But realizing that you might be stronger than you think to be able to rise out of leaning on these external regulatory drugs, let's they are, call them what they are, yeah. I think that might be the better way to move out of it. This is what's assisted me. So that we can move to consumption in joy and celebration instead of consumption to self-regulate and soothe, which often looks like consumption every two to three days which doesn't give our body time to clean itself which leads to health problems later in life yeah (laughs) unfortunately that's the reality we will be 60 one day if we're lucky and we want to we want to still be comfortable when we're there yeah i think uh, having a, a serious back injury at a young age really drove home the fact for me the reality of having one body that i need to look after and no matter how much money you have very smart people in white coats really can't give you your health and vitality back once you've really fucked yourself up. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yeah, there's no... <laughs> there's no, there's no fix. Yeah. Although you never know the developments of science these days, what they might discover, but let's not, let's, let's yeah, not count on it. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. On the thing that you said earlier around breathing, one of my friends is a neuroscientist and she's she like puts some posts out and stuff around how your body getting your body to calm down first as you've said has a complete neurological effect and you someone is in a state of panic and you say to them calm down you know that like stereotypical Mm, calm mm. down you cannot calm your mind down first Mm. you have to start with your body Mm -hmm. and it seems so counterintuitive in a weird way because i guess all the turmoil is happening in your mind so you kind of think just calm down calm down calm down but you're not going to win that battle well, you think the turmoil is happening in your mind, but the source is, in fact, your body. So your body is released. All of these hormones are coursing through. Your adrenals are going. They're being squeezed. Everything's being released. Your heart rate has changed. Your breathing has changed. It's affecting the amount of the oxygen to carbon dioxide ratio of blood that's getting to your brain, which is affecting how you're thinking. So it's, it's clouding the tone of your thoughts. So often what happens is we're aware of it. Our if say like there's danger or somebody pisses us off our body responds and then the mind starts flowing and if we don't notice if we haven't like kind of curated the awareness to be like hang on this whole ship is going off course we need to start with the breathing cool it down notice the thoughts they're going to pass you know i don't need to i don't need to continue this narrative i don't need to feed the story that i've started in my mind you know oh, i'm so angry i hate this person i'm gonna i want to kill them you know you're just gonna go on and on and on so you've got to slowly start bringing yourself down 
as quickly as possible because you know it's going to happen eventually. Somebody pisses you off, you know by the end of the day you're probably going to be calm. But if you wait till the end of the day, you've kind of lost a whole day of your life being shitty and stressed. Yeah. You want to get back to your base level of just being able to enjoy life as early as possible. I guess a lot of that comes down to just self-awareness and being able to identify it in the moment when it's happening. Yeah. And I don't know how you, how do you get that? Because I have had a knowing around needing to be better in that regard as well. Sometimes I'm like, fuck, you know, you need to be more conscious of this behavior. It's always good to look at it. I mean, hindsight's the best thing ever, you know, but then when you're in it, you can easily waste a day being pissed off and then look back and be like, okay, we get better at the practice. So first thing is the best time to learn how to run from a line is not when the line is chasing you. You know, so you you want to curate your awareness and your ability to calm down, regulate and like breathe in into your the whole of your lung cavity, these kinds of things. You want to do that even when you're having a good day. Uh, you don't want to wait until life's thrown you a shitstorm, which it's going to, to try and pick up those habits and behaviors and start them again. And that's really the tricky thing. And I think we all get to a point in life where we just go like, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of being yo-yoed around and yanked around by my external environment. And I want a little bit more fucking agency, control in a way over me. You know, I'd spent so much of my life being a ping pong ball to what was happening around me, just tuck, 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 all over the place. And what often happens is that when we start to get into this, we start to speed up. We need more. It's faster. We can't sit for a moment alone. When we're eating, we need our phone there too. We're watching TV. We've got our phone as well. You know, we're doing two to three things at once. That's how much we need to cloud our internal world in order to feel a little bit of kind of peace or to get out of ourselves. So what we want to do is try and find some time for yourself that's quiet and Onto the terrarium thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tell us. This is something I really enjoyed as a child, and I had no problem as a child spending hours doing it. And now I notice when I try to put together a terrarium, which I absolutely love, I just like, I need to listen to podcasts at the same time. Like, I need more stimulation than that. And really, you want to try and keep your base level of required stimulation as low as possible for you to be able to just be. And I go back to the classic adage it says, most of the world's problems would be solved if people could just sit quietly by themselves for a certain amount of time. You know, if you can just be with yourself. And it's difficult because sometimes, you know, when you slow down to be with yourself, you realize that like lots of the voices in your head are total assholes. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to listen to them. I think there's such a tendency towards busyness, as you said. It's just, if I think about how my average day goes with being a freelancer, I, I I don't have any clear rules around when I'm not using my laptop. So because my day is kind of inside out or it's whatever I make it, I will be on my laptop and then I'll go do go to the gym at 1 p.m. and then I'll come back and then I'll be on my laptop again. And then I'm kind of like, at the end of the day, even when I really am craving to relax or relaxation, I kind of, I feel compelled. Yes. I feel compelled. I'm like, yes. must open laptop, beep, beep, beep. Like have to now do one of 55 things that's on my mind. I need to start researching this. I need to start researching that. And you've got a strong momentum of doing everything's yeah. doing. So now suddenly you're slowing down and like, that's not, that doesn't work. This is where I think like stages to slowing down. So it's usually easier after gym, you know, you go and you worked out for a little bit. Like that's the easiest time to meditate or do some mindfulness or do some yoga is after you've done something. But isn't mindfulness and yoga and meditation still doing, you know, e- can we not just like lie on the couch yeah. and day, stare at so, the ceiling? Yeah. You, you can, as long as you're being aware of your thoughts, as long as you're watching your thoughts, you're, you're cultivating the watcher 
you're cultivating your awareness because you're not the thoughts in your mind. Yes. We, we've read that a million times. Yeah. But it's hard to put in the practice of you acknowledging you're not the thoughts in your mind is cultivating some attentiveness of, of the, the watcher in you. You know, when you're busy thinking and you have like a thought and you, and you know, it's like, you know, like, like a, that baby screaming, I want to throw her out of the window and you like suddenly catch yourself. You're like, wow, that's a dark thought. That's an intrusive yeah, thought. <laughs> that was you. That part that, that caught the thought, that's the voice. That's what you want to sidle up to. That's your friend. That's you. That's what people refer to when they talk about your higher self, your best self. And that's where the curation comes from. So that's where something like uh, mindfulness and meditation really work. And we, and we know this. The thing is, how do, you, how do you bring it into your life? And to me, the answer for that has been like, even if it's two minutes, you know, you catch little moments. So apps really help and these kinds of things. And also knowing that like, I'm not going to do that if I've had a cup of coffee. So it's got to be in the morning or just before bed. Otherwise, I sit down, I try and meditate or clear or, you know, bring awareness into my thoughts. And then I can't. So I beat myself up about it. Yeah. And so, you know, the little devil in me comes out, the Catholic flagellation. And then I don't want to do it again because now I've got nothing but negative connotations with sitting down and meditating. Also, flagellation is so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I right? Love it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to make a counter argument Go for, it. for for not necessarily trying to be productive in the being still. And if we're saying spending time alone and spending time in just almost boredom or yes. stillness. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I don't think that necessarily needs to be, okay, I'm going to take my meditation app out and I'm going to search. I'm going to try to be productive in some way. I'm going to do yoga. Like from what I've read, a lot of, there's a lot of science around the importance of daydreaming and how moments of dissociation are so great for your brain to process. And it's like a very, it's actually a very healthy and good thing to do. But I mean, like the things that I've also read, they say that children in class should be allowed to daydream. They should be allowed to look out Absolutely. the window. You should be allowed to doodle if that's what helps you, you know, listen to the teacher. It actually is beneficial. So I don't know, guys. Like I would say maybe try cultivate being bored, but then it feels like a waste of time. Well, see, that's the thing. So this is why something like sitting down and doing meditation often works for people. This is why I choose to go out into the mountains. A, mm. nature is neutral. I find nature is supporting. Nature isn't full of drama and politics and problems and news and this shit. And B, I can go there and be bored while moving my body. That's why I really, really enjoy that. I wanted to tell you a little fun fact on the daydreaming thing and why it's so important. So when the Sony Walkman came out originally, many, many decades ago, this was the first time the world had the opportunity to carry music on them, to have music in your ears, something that's very normal for us. This was brand new. The, the Sony Walkman invented that. Like, that was never happened before. And there was a huge kickback already at that point. A lot of people were saying this is not good for the human mind because we're not going to be bored as much. You're not going to have that quiet time, that open space of thinking to take unusual ideas and connect them into new creative ways of thinking and being and doing. And so largely the only, the, the, the last like sanctuary left of that is being in the shower where you, most people don't listen to music and you're actually just charring. You're just doing something in thing. and that's where a lot of people have very powerful connective thoughts yeah daydreaming in the shower but it's also such a finite amount of time i guess it depends who you are yeah so how much hair you have so far, yeah so you can find other times to do daydreaming yes. stuff go be bored you know i'm i'm very lucky that i have the time and I acknowledge that i'm a guy so i can just go roam the mountains by myself a lot of the time and that is where i do a lot of of repair work inside of me i often think that we 
you know, we need to go see a therapist or a psychologist for variety of reasons. But I think if you can spend time with yourself where you're kind of processing stuff, you're less likely to build up a big backlog of things that you would need to see somebody like that once a week just generally. And caveat, that's very different to when you've had a particular traumatic event in your life and you need somebody to assist you processing. Absolutely do for that. But I mean, just generally, that feeling of like having a messy yeah. mind. I completely agree. And the, from what I've also seen or, or read is that this return to nature or returning to nature is such an ancient way of healing for mm. us as a civilization. Mm. And some of the, like the four pillars of, I guess this is like this healing trauma or resolving trauma have been connections. So your relationships to people mm. and your interactions with people and feeling loved and cared for and being able to have conversations and in a way small conversation like small moments of exposure to that trauma with which you're working through mm. so if you're in a multi-generational tribe and i've and i've endured maybe the loss of, of a sibling or something like that i would get into a conversation with my granny but maybe in a not a long drawn out conversation not actually being therapized it's it's a small burst of interaction that i control which means that I don't dysregulate my nervous system by going too far, you know, and actually making more damage. So that's like connection, being in nature and rhythm, mm. dancing mm -hmm. and yeah, music and some hallucinogenic drugs as well. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> onto, onto the dancing thing. So that is essentially some, what we call somatic release. It's allowing your body to move as it pleases. It's letting your body steer the ship for a while instead of using your mind to steer your ship for a while. Which, you know, you think about it, if the problems are sitting in your mind, maybe you just need to rattle the body or body a little bit. Like, who doesn't feel better after, like, going for a run? Or there's a common saying around, like, just shake it off. Just yes. shaking it off. So uh, this is why I was drawn to, to tremoring, to neurogenic release. Is it's somatic release, just like breath work. I realized that I had feelings, emotions, and problems that I needed to work through. I was sick of talking about them to other people who I didn't really want to. Also, I'm a guy. I think talk therapy doesn't work for everybody. And particularly men just tend to not be so verbal, you know, wanting to put words to their inner world. We want to just go and build a cabin in the woods, <laughs> just go and chop some wood and just like get outside. Hang and on do the something. mountain, yeah. hang out there. Yeah. And that's um, so... I realized there was a backlog of unprocessed stuff leading a very like high paced life. I was very busy all the time. I had, I didn't slow down for decades. I was burning the candle at both ends and then I fucked my back up again and suddenly I was stuck in bed for about a month. And that was enough for the tidal wave of unprocessed shit and detritus in my mind to <laughs> catch up with me and fuck it hurt when it landed. Like it was... I cancel all distractions, basically. Well, I couldn't. This I was fucking stuck in bed. Yeah. You know, I wanted to drink, but I knew also, I, A, my parents' house, and B, I need a heal. I need my body to be in the best. So suddenly, life has pulled the handbrake on on me, and I've got to deal with all my shit. And I look back, and I'm like, thank God for it. <laughs> Please don't do it to like me again. intervention but from the universe. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so... You know, I had all the stuff that I needed to process and it started building up in my body. I had huge tension. I was having terrible nightmares. My jaw had seized up. I was getting headaches. I never get headaches. I never get headaches. I was getting headaches. I just, my whole body had stiffened up. I was grinding my teeth at night. And I went for a, a, a neurogenic release, which is essentially I get taken through 
a series of seven yoga-like exercises to stretch certain muscles in the body. And then you end up lying on your yoga mat and you do a couple of exercises with your legs, open butterfly, etc. And what arrives are neurogenic release tremors. These are very different to the other tremors that we know. There are three kinds of tremors in the body. There's the I'm cold tremors. There's the muscle fatigue tremors. Uh-huh. And there's, there's the neurogenic release tremors, as in neurogenic meaning arriving from the central nervous system. I always thought that when I've done these neurogenic tremors in the past, I actually did TRE specifically, tension release exercises, and I actually thought that it was a muscle fatigue tremor that somehow, I don't know, made me feel better. Totally different. So Crazy. We, we use, in the, in the practice, we use muscle fatigue tremors to open the door for the neurogenic tremors. But really the distinct difference is that when you're lying on the ground, you've now taken your body out of any stress position and the tremors are still going. Not only they're going, but they might very well be moving to different parts of the body, which is very interesting. A lot of people also experience an incredible release. A lot of people, when I'm facilitating, will start laughing. Sometimes it's like happy tears. Their breathing often changes. You know, there's a lot going on in the body that tells us that this is so much more than simply a muscular tremor. In fact, we know it isn't. Mm. And then just because just I like to be really science about the hippie things as well, I bought a heart rate variability monitor, which is the only way to scientifically tell whether you're leaning towards fight or flight or rest and digest. And so I like to use that on myself and on the clients before and after a session so that they can really see the difference on a graph, which is quite nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. Aaron's obsessed with heart rate variability at the moment. Yeah, the science on it is solid. We are still trying to understand exactly what it is. <laughs> I have no idea. He, he has a whoop thing. Mm. So he's got like all this, the most intense data that he looks at every single morning, like his sleep report and his heart rate variability. Yeah, it's super interesting. So you said that you were kind of wiped out in bed, you hurt your back, and then you started doing this once you'd healed or? This was part of the healing process. Okay. Yeah. So you're, if you're stuck in fight or flight and you've got lots of tension in your body, your body isn't in a healing mode. You're not resting deeply. You're not getting as much time in REM. You're not assimilating the nutrients in your food properly because you haven't got the right blood flow to your stomach and guts. So there's lots of long, you know, besides the fact that you're just not happy and you're stuck in bed at your parents' house and you can't get stoned, smoke a cigarette or get drunk, you know. And I was in such a misplaced, you know, I didn't even want to distract by watching TV. And like, I just sat in my shit and just, I spent like, oh, I learned how to cry. Wow, cried oh, wow, a lot. that's yeah. great. Crying, I just realized like crying is... If I can every now and again squeeze out some tears, I'm like, oh, excellent. I feel like crying is the physical manifestation of emotions leaving your body. So if ever there was a way to know that you're letting go of something, watching those tears drop from your face, you're, you're letting go. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Oh. Yeah, because I think it's often perceived as a sign of weakness. And I think we are moving away from that as a society. Very fast, Definitely. Yes. But I think, I think that in some way governs my internal narrative. You know, I'll like, can cry at the drop of a hat honestly I can cry for anything and if I'm sitting like I recently just had my visa refused <laughs> and initially that I didn't cry the first day but then this morning when I was trying to work through some stuff around the visa I just felt like the wind had been taken out of my sails and I was really bleak and I had like one or two tears about it and in those moments I think you can maybe lean towards perceiving yourself as a bit of a fucking pussy absolutely this is always what stops my tears. You know, as much as I can talk to you about it now, how much I love it when it happens and I want it to happen in a part of me of the, I like to think, you know, the 
the radio station of voices that plays in your mind, you've almost got like a like a, a boardroom table with like five, six different personalities sitting around. So the one, you know, my, my gentle, soft personality is like, oh, thank God, Matt, let it go. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to be a human, let it go. And then the asshole at the end of the table is like, stop it, pussy, what is this? Like, oh my God, this is going to, it's soft, you know, you're going to get beaten down by the world, you'll never be able to do anything if you act like this. Yeah. Like, it just goes on. So one's got to start, or I have, kind of find a way to just start moving through it slowly but surely being gentle on oneself i guess the um uh, i wanted to mention on the tears thing and allowing that to come there's this concept that i really enjoyed so if you think about ourselves as humans as experiential beings experiential machines or entities and the world is constantly arriving with these experiences around us and interactions and things that we need to digest and allow to flow through us so we can let go of them. Really, the art of living a good life is letting go, is non-attachment to the good and the bad and just letting experiences wash through us, which allows, this is the nature of stoicism, in fact, allows you to feel deeply, but let go when you need to. This is the thing. So, you know, there's a wonderful saying, it says, let go or be dragged. Life will drag hey, you. Tak malak, that's visual. Yes. A lot of people feel, or, you know, that when I talk to them about it, for the past, say, decade, that they've just been dragged through every day of their life. And that really resonated with me. And what starts to happen is we start to build these these blockages within ourselves. These almost like, picture a river of experiences flowing through you, through your being. And then these little dams and eddies of unprocessed emotions start to form as blockages. We can actually call them traumas. Because at the end of the day, the definition of a trauma is any experience that led to overwhelm that you felt that you couldn't cope with. So that overwhelm then sticks with you. It doesn't pass. And this is why trauma, lots of trauma can be a problem. You get weighed down by it and you get dragged through life. And your nervous system imprints certain responses and like kind of keeps them as like a backlog of reference cards. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that, that analogy I just gave you of the river is a really simple way of describing actually what we're starting to notice in somatic studies of what how how emotions build up as tension patterns in your body everyone's got different tension patterns a lot of people in the shoulders a lot of people in the hips different muscle groups will hold different t- tension points i've been to some very fascinating people who have literally like pressed on muscles and told me what was sitting wrapped up in that tense muscle which lets me just burst you know crying like that's you know yeah. it's tears which means they've hit the spot really they hit the nail on the head but so i what i started to notice is that i'd Built, I hadn't processed, I hadn't, I hadn't spent enough time slowing down in life to process the things that were happening to me because they're uncomfortable. You don't want to slow down and process uncomfortable shit. You want to lock it away in a, in a door, in a room. You want to lock that room inside of you that that happened in and then just move on. But what happens and then that the house that is your being, you're not existing in this beautiful home with all these different parts to experience. You're just stuck in the living room because you've locked every other room of this house because something uncomfortable happened. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, I had my heart broken for the first relationship, the girl that I lost my virginity to absolutely broke my heart. Only recently have I realized how that really affected the nature of who I allowed myself to be in a relationship with. So because I didn't process that 20 odd years ago, Mm. I've chosen partners that weren't necessarily allowed myself to have partners that weren't necessarily the best for me, but simply felt the most comfortable without triggering that traumatic room of experience I'd locked up. I almost feel as though, again, to, I guess, touch on the busyness of our existence and how Mm. we are currently as a modern society, whereas 
maybe back in the day, as you were describing all of this, I was kind of imagining if you, (laughs) if we like lived in like the 1500s where you just had nothing but time on your hands. Granted, you had a whole lot of other things going on, but let's just say you were a well-to-do gentleman in the 1500s who lived on a farm, you know, and you would have just a lot more time for your mind to wander. And I wonder if with that freedom of mind comes freedom to leave things unlocked to and process. to explore and to process and to let go. That daydreaming that you spoke about, yeah. what's happen, often happening in your daydreaming? You're processing, you're running over situations yeah. and so that you can understand them, so that you can digest them, so you can allow them to pass through you. On that note, and in my life experience, I get so frustrated with myself because of my it seems apparent inability to let go of my trauma that I have specifically around I mean my childhood but specifically my mom I feel like I've done the most to consciously let go and to but I guess maybe it's more of a subconscious thing but to consciously say I let go and you know I've been saying this for years not lying probably probably 12 years Mm -hmm. since I was 18 you know I'm 30 now I've been actively saying I forgive I forgive I forgive I forgive and trying to let go no matter where I turn it it seems like my nervous system and who I am and my wiring is just such that I'm presented with these things that have impacted me to this day and then it's like I get so upset because I just think for fuck's sakes I just want to let it go do you mean like repeated patterns like the same theme that happened back then between your mom keeps on arriving in your environment still I would say most yeah maybe it is a worldview thing I would say I would say maybe it is a worldview thing. It's like my the worldview that was constructed at that age has is so deeply embedded that I struggle to to let go of it. And because of that, and also like when I think back on what happened to me, and I think about my mom, like no offense to you, mom, but like love you if you are listening to this. Don't know if she ever will, but I'm just like, nah, man. You know, I'm yeah. like I can I can love you objectively, but. I don't even know if I could honestly, and this is going to sound probably fucked up to anyone listening, but I actually don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't know if I can honestly, truly forgive her or let go. And I don't even, I wonder the question of forgiveness. Everyone makes it seem like it's the most honorable thing to do. And it's something that's so highly expected of us as these, you know, wildly intellectual human beings. Like let go. And when you forgive, you actually, you're not forgiving the other person. You're freeing yourself. And like, yes, a hundred percent. But do we, do we really have to always forgive people? No, it can be a bit of a wank. Some people are assholes and they do asshole things. The forgiveness things usually isn't to do with the other person. It's got nothing to do with the other person. It's, it's, it's a case of kind of thank you for giving me that experience. I've had this experience. It happened. It's, it's formed me in this certain way. It's constructed this worldview. I can see that I, I can take some benefits from this done pros and cons lists on this kind of thing like okay so i take like my hyper perfectionism comes from things that happened in my childhood and while that's caused a lot of suffering in my life i've also found benefits in it can i start to magnify those benefits while reducing the negatives like this yeah. kind of thing at the end of the day you know the first the first, our primary caregivers imprint so much onto us and we spend the rest of our lives trying to shake as much of it off as possible so we can lead like our highest self lives our true lives or trying to absorb 
those experiences into ourselves so that we can utilize them in some kind of healthy way. And it's not about trying to be perfect, that you're going to wake up every day and be happy every day and never be stressed and never be triggered. It's just to make sure that it's not happening to you all the time that you don't feel like life actually just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I have kind of overcome that for the most part. I think I've, I've cultivated a lot of awareness and I'm trying to cultivate or practice the tools to not slip into old behavioral patterns. And I, I think maybe I shouldn't just say this as like a closing statement around the forgiveness topic is that I, th I think it is worth looking at it from a different perspective. And I do love my mom and I do accept, I accept what's happened. I accept, I accept myself and I accept her. I accept it for what it is. Mm. And I don't, maybe, maybe I was going to say I'm at peace with it, but maybe I'm not at peace with it because I feel like forgiveness is being shoved down my throat. Mm -hmm. And there's there a, yeah, there's a part of me that's like, I actually yeah. just don't want yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's the, that's the love and light brigade. That's yeah. the, before we started chatting, I was telling you, like, I just love the concept, so simple, of the 80-20 principle. Yes. It's like, you know what, once again, like, maybe we get to forgive 80% of the people in life. That other 20%, fuck you guys, you know? I'm a human too. I've got an angry side. Yeah. Anger is part of my emotional spectrum as being a feeling human being. I'm going to let it happen. But I'm not going to release it in an inappropriate way. I'm not going to let that anger cause pain and suffering to other people. I'm not going to let it cause... Or try not to let it cause pain and suffering to myself you know the problem is when we sit with that anger that unprocessed stuff and then we almost abuse ourselves by say drinking to get away from it all these kinds of things and we're actually you know doing our physical being harm that's when it becomes a problem but you know like you're driving somewhere and like what's somebody who did you wrong a while ago pops in your head you know it's like fuck that guy like i've had a scream and a shout in the car before like that's it it's been hard because when i was younger as part of like going to trans parties and being part of like the hippie community i also thought like everything could just be rosy like being a well-adjusted good human was when you were always happy only good things happened to you and everything was great and sunshiny no and also like how boring like that's yeah. just actually not fucking life so i think you know as we get older we start to get to roll with you know we're going through the shit we're going through the 20 percent. we're like oh you know we'll give you the 80 percent. and sometimes it swings sometimes for many months or years it's just absolute shit yeah i almost feel like so speaking of what you mentioned earlier like way earlier on in the podcast you, you mentioned like our lexicon english lexicon in terms of referring to emotions and stuff and i think my frustration also stems from how limited our vocabulary is around this specific topic of maybe wrongdoing and oh, I hate the word wrongdoing but you know someone feeling like something has happened to them and then forgiveness like why is there not another word for that and it's not to say as well that i look at a situation with my mom and be like oh fuck that person it's not like that. It is kind of like, fuck that behavior, 100%. And maybe slightly fuck that person if I feel as, as if she hasn't really developed much from that person that she was then. Yeah. Then you can definitely be like, actually, hmm, not so sure about this. And I also think maybe that feeling that I have also comes from like the fact that when, when, when we were close, a lot of like really crappy things happened. And then I completely removed myself from her. And it's been years. Our relationship's completely deteriorated. Mm. And now I'm kind of, I've had enough space and time to protect myself and to heal myself. But I'm kind of looking back at this, like in this gap that stands between where I left her and where I am now. And I have to try close that gap with forgiveness. Mm. You know? No, no, no. It's like, I gotta, who is she? I don't even know who she is. I got an interesting question for you. Have you yeah. met your mother's mother? Yes, my granny. You spent time with her? Yes, lots. How did you find her as a person? I loved her. Okay. And the, and the, your grandfather? 
my grandfather, he was also sweet. He was sweet. I know that they had a terrible marriage. They were divorced. So when I used to spend time with them, I'd spend time with them separately. My granny got remarried. So that, I think that might be where the interesting kernel is, kernel information. So the reason I ask is, um, uh, you know, I could always like, love my mother dearly but of course you know these are our parents and like lots of things about her in my upbringing of course you know were less than ideal always and then I started to spend time with my grandmother my mother's mother and I just started thinking like oh, fuck like wow you know you could have passed so much more shit onto me like actually actually acted as quite a good buffer between me and the upbringing that you had I thought my upbringing was shit but yours mm. fucking hell was terrible so the reason I ask is that because this helped me and it, you know of course not everybody has this experience but sometimes it's good to like to look at one's primary caregiver and and just go like okay well fucking you did the best you can at not passing on the shit that was passed on to you kind of a thing it's not act you know yeah ceasing the cycle a little bit but still at the same time like <laughs> this, is, this is a wonderful thing um you know we all need a womb to come into this world some of us need a womb and a mother and some of us just need a womb which is <laughs> which is quite Toastmasters <laughs> <laughs> which really hit home with me you know uh, just like there's this worldview all around us that you know we should practice forgiveness and be all forgiving there's also the thing that we should all come from like a happy family that sits around a table and everybody gets along I don't come from that family um, we are very independent very siloed lots of time in our own rooms in our own space within a home growing up and I would go visit friends and they would be so cohesive. They would do everything together. And I was like, oh, why don't I have that family? Well, it's like, you know what, Matthew? Because you just fucking don't. But this is still in many ways a great family. Exactly. So just I can move on with it. This is the family that you, you know, and this is my, this is my hippie side. This is the family that you chose to come into. This is your life. Couldn't last. agree more. Let's, these are my, here's another wonderful thing. So, and this little, this little tidbit I actually got from my mother when I was younger when I'd moan about stuff like my life or, you know, things that happened to me, she's like, you know what, Matthew, my grandmother always used to say, if you took all of your problems and put them into a brown bag and the whole world put their brown bags in a big, big pile, you would look at that pile and you would take your bag back. Very true. It's quite something. It's uh, relativity, I guess. Or is it relativity? Yeah, it's also we, we look at other people and we presume their lives for some reason. We have this bias. We presume their lives, are, their internal lives are better than ours. I think we're just so self-obsessed uh, yeah. that we probably just like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's me. It's This is just my yeah. suffering. I think like, you know, isn't it so funny that we can acknowledge that we're part of this giant human milieu and there are billions of us. And yet when we got heartbroken, we act like we're the only one who's ever been heartbroken in history. You know, like we, we're the only one who's ever felt this. No everybody this is part of the human experience nobody understands yeah. me yeah. nobody gets out alive you've got to fucking feel this shit yeah so you know or you could just drink and smoke a lot all the time oh, <laughs> you, have, you have you have choices you have you options do, you do have it's choices. not boring yeah exactly yeah exactly this is the thing yeah you can make your own fun around that yes um it's uh, yeah the human thing like often i sit in my apartment you know especially in winter something like that and like you know I was sick and when you're sick your body's low and then you have low thoughts and I was really just like bemoaning my whole life and then finally after like two days I needed to go get food feed my sick body and I go out and I pass all the homeless people I'm like oh, Matt there's your fucking reality check you're like you know other people are having low experiences too and then also a little reminder here's something interesting so in in learning how to hold space professionally for other people and to hold space for their trauma and to listen to them compassionately 
and to allow somebody to have the feeling that they can trust me to tell what's really going on on the inside. Um, before a session, I'd ask somebody to fill out a, like a, a trauma form, basically. And it's basically a two-page document that just lists all sorts of questions, like big things that have happened in your life, how's your sleep, how's your digestion, you know, it's like 20-odd kind of questions, which when you're filling it in as the client, they're just interesting questions. But we get taught how to read it as kind of a map of what's going on in your central nervous system. My takeaway from it is that in facilitating and getting forms from a lot of close friends is realizing how many people I know who I assumed had perfect lives and who I often in low states find myself thinking about why can't I have so-and-so's life, particularly if I go onto Instagram or something like that. I would read these trauma forms and my heart would break. I'd be like, oh my God, Brew, I didn't know you were suffering. Yeah, it's so true. I didn't know you had, you know, you had depressive thoughts X times a month. And that like the thought of suicide crossed your mind a couple of times a year. And it was incredibly heartbreaking and got me a little bit teary because it also made me realize like, really not alone. Mm -hmm. We all have this shit happens to us. Particularly, you know, they say like peak suicide times between 35 and 45. Really? These are the hardest times of our life. Sure. Yeah. Very interesting. This is a difficult time of life that we're in. It's like, you know, when we were younger, things were generally, this is a generalized statement, of course, generally more carefree. We didn't have so much pressure. We felt we had more time to arrive to our hopes and dreams. Between 35 and 40, sometimes you get chipped back into place. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to be the billionaire. I'm not going to have that car. I'm never going to sit in first class. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe I am, but these yeah. kinds of things start to play, guys. And, you know, and and the more serious thoughts in the same tone, of course, which can drive somebody to to desperate behavior. And then usually later in life, around 45 to 50, you start to move into this like, you know what, this is just me. You see older people being a lot more flippant and off the cuff about the way they feel and think. Whereas you and I are still in the state of being quite like, we're still in like a mold thing. We're still, there's still a bit of like keeping up with the Joneses. You're still kind of, kind of like looking across and being like, is that okay? Or like, is, was yeah. that cool? Yeah, exactly. Did you like that? Yeah. yeah. Acceptance. Exactly. You're still looking for acceptance. Validation. Often when you get older, yeah. you're like, you know, fuck, this is me. Take it or leave it. And you start to get used to not being the good boy or good girl that needs to be liked and loved by anybody, everybody, which I think is a really important thing. And I'm sure you and I and a lot oh, of people listening to this. You and I think especially. Yeah. It's like, wow, wow. How do you let go of that? Yes, sir. No, sir. Please. please six bag fulls. You know, just like, being the good person. Yeah. Also want everyone to love us. And I, I've wondered about this. I wondered if, if the more I can nurture my own self love my internal love and, and self-love is like you know it's got let's not be wishy-washy about that theme self-love is really self-acceptance it's accepting that like there's an asshole living in us there's part of us that wants to go out and take drugs and you know until we have organ failure there's a part of us that you know there's there's extremes to us that we're always finding a middle ground around and it's self-acceptance it's just like okay guys we're all here you know i'm not going to fight you anymore i'm just going to let you live there but i'm not going to put so much attention on you we're going to move forward and when that starts to happen, it starts to be, you have now kind of externalized your acceptance, forgiveness, or self-love. You don't need to get it so much from other people because you've filled up your well, your reservoirs of it inside of yourself. I'm pretty keen to do some shadow work. I know that's also the hippie in me speaking. I don't even know if you could tell me what the fuck shadow work is. I don't know. So, you know what I will do, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I will buy this book that I took a note about. There was this woman who who she's published, I think, a few books on this kind of thing, and she's a 
like a shadow work therapist type person, but she's taken her work and her practice and put it into a book. And I was listening to a podcast where she was being, well, she was on the podcast and being interviewed. And I just found it super fascinating. I'm not going to really necessarily try and completely explain it, but it is along the lines of, as you said, making peace with the different versions of yourself. And that part of you that does want to take drugs until 5 a.m. until you have organ failure, whatever it is, or the person who has, I don't know, maybe some dark thoughts or the person who doesn't fucking like a person or hates their parents or whatever it is, all those aspects of yourself. I think, I think part of the work that she does is you actually, you, you make them a person. You personify it. Oh, I've heard about, okay. Yes, you personify this this part of yourself and this aspect of yourself and you work with it. But yeah, I mean, I really do want to read the book and, and try and make sense of it. That's what you said that works for me because I'd often felt, particularly when I've taken mushrooms, I've often felt like the the radio station that's playing in my mind, the constant narrative, which almost all of us have. It turns out some people don't have that, which is weird, but we won't go there now. Wow. Yeah, super weird. So... That radio station, in my mind, is, as I said, like this round table with a whole bunch of different personalities sitting around them. And sometimes I can almost picture this. It's a discussion. You know, there's stuff. Our mind is using thoughts continuously. It's like, who's who's running the show? And then sometimes, of course, if you're going to deny, if like there's somebody around a table that wants to talk and you deny, 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 eventually they're going to fucking blow their lid and just go wild and take over the whole show. And that... I mean, you know, you and I love talking about our kind of, uh, I don't want to say compulsive behaviors, but what are they called? Like drinking, smoking, these vices. Yes. Vices. I think about vices. That, that's like the classic thing. Like I, the amount of times I try to stop smoking rollies, you know, I love smoking like one or two a day and a couple when I go out. And if I try to push it out of my life, oh, it comes back. Yeah, I'll just, I just want to eat tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, haven't, I haven't accepted that that's a part of me and that maybe... I can't push it away or move around it, but I need to move through it by understanding it and chipping through it and decoupling it. And I like the word digesting, digesting that part of me that wants to smoke so I can understand it, make peace with it. And then maybe it leaves, maybe it doesn't. Maybe yeah. that's just who I am. Yeah, exactly. And just the, the willingness to accept yourself either way. Mm, mm. And if it doesn't change, mm. then yeah, then so be it. So in, in closing, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up, but I started asking you a question, then I kind of just did a U-turn. I did a handbrake turn mid-question. But it was along the lines of everything we've discussed. And I wanted to ask, based on the commentary that I've just given around my mum and never called her mum in my life, but now I'm on a podcast and I just called her mum. So thank you. So British. Yeah, I'm British on me. Me mum. Yeah, speaking about everything that I mentioned about my mum and then... You also mentioning releasing traumas and the physical or physicality of shaking and uh, neurogenic tremoring. And I wanted to then ask, and also the comment that I made very early on where I said, if your body is in a state of panic and your mind is in a state of panic, you can't use your mind to to override your body. You have to go from the body up Mm, into the mind. Correct. With all of these things as a precursor to this question, do you then feel like you could through physical release, mm. work through psychological trauma. Without doubt. So that even if, no, I'm kind of trying to like, you know, I'm pathologizing myself. I'm thinking about all these things that are going on in my head around, I need to let go, I need to release. Are we saying that, do we believe that I could actually just take my little, my, take my body, do some tremoring or do some kind of a physical releasing and that that would help me let go of that? 
it wouldn't be the only solution, but it would certainly help because you are a mind and a body. And if you try and heal yourself simply on one side of that spectrum, your mind side, you're going to miss out on the whole other part of you that is your body. And that's where your feelings lie. You feel in your body. This is what I love. Like I've had challenges with this and I love having long discussions. We can have a whole podcast about just this. A lot of people think that they feel in their minds, that their thoughts are their feelings. This is certainly not the case. When you see a beautiful rainbow, it's not, you're not thinking, you're feeling feelings, usually in certain parts of your body. And with lots of practice and slowing down, one can actually really start to tune in to feel where you feel, you, where you feel certain feelings in your body. It starts to get super interesting, as I've been touching into it. But to answer your question succinctly, we are a body and a mind. If you want to heal yourself or make change, you do it on both sides. Just like if you want to, uh, if you want like a fit and healthy new body, it's not just about going, you need to change your thinking. Yeah. The way you think about what you do with your time and energy and your body and your, your, your thinking around food and all these things. So when we want to release something in our mind, we need to release the tension pattern. And this is in my mind. This is, well, let's call it a spade a spade. It's, this is the pseudoscience part. Is that in my mind, when you release something in your mind, you release a little bit of tension that you are holding somewhere in your body. And I like, that's why I like to think I about that. That's why I like to think, I like the analogy. And this is, I think this is my original analogy. And I try to explain this to clients that your body is this giant home, this house of experience and little ro different rooms have different themes and labels in. And what we often do is we start to close different rooms. And then, as I said before, eventually you're only living in one room or your home becomes very small and stifling and very uncomfortable. And the more uncomfortable you are inside your body, the more you're going to look for external comforts. You look for distraction because it's not nice to be inside of you. Very well said, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. That was super cool. I went uh, a lot quicker than I thought. It Thank you so much. Cool. I really loved <laughs> having you. Thank you so, so much. Is there anything else you want to say in closing? Um, let me think. No, I'd, I'd love to come back. Yay. Yay. I would love to have you back. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Daddy. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. New episodes are out every Wednesday. And if you liked this podcast and any of my other ones, please, will you give me a follow on Spotify and give me a rating as well? I would absolutely love and appreciate that. Okay, bye.